Welcome to No Matter What. I'm Hannah Seymour, and this podcast is all about being who God created you to be no matter what. No matter your past, your current circumstances, no matter your relationship status, your career journey, no matter what life throws at you. Each episode, I invite a friend to talk about what that actually looks like, to be who God created you to be no matter what. Welcome back to No Matter What. I am so excited today. I am in the studio with a, I wouldn't say like a new friend, but a new, I don't know. I don't even know how to introduce you, Jamie. I met Jamie Hurd, gosh, was that maybe three years ago? I was going to say two or three years ago. Okay. Jamie and her husband, Daniel, were on my dad's podcast, Michael Easley in Context. Jamie and Daniel were super active in my dad's church at the time. And they went through something that my dad watched them and said, I have never seen a couple respond to tragedy like those two. And so he was so excited. He wanted to have them on the show to talk about how did you guys do this and how are you standing and how are you carrying on? And so that was the first time that I got to hear Jamie and Daniel's story. I will say on a personal note, I was pregnant. You were pregnant too. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think you were maybe not showing and I was showing it was like earlier for you. Um, but I, the whole time I was so concerned that I was just going to be like a weepy mess listening to y'all. I'm like, this is embarrassing. I need to not be crying, but it was, I, it was so hard to keep my emotions in check when I was pregnant. Anyway. So all of that to say, when I started, no matter what I knew at some point I had to have Jamie on the show and all of that to say, Jamie, thank you for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes. I feel very honored. So a little bit more about Jamie. Jamie is a teacher by trade. She, I said before, married to Daniel. She is mom to Madeline, William, and Annie. And she is running this incredible nonprofit that we will get into later, but it's called Faithfully Restored. And I'll be sure to put that in the show notes so you guys can check it out and read all about what they're doing. But Jamie, let's start. Let's. I want to kind of start with college age Jamie. What were your hopes and dreams and really your expectations? Like, what did you think your life was going to look like? I went from a small town in Pennsylvania and I went away to UT for college in Knoxville. My two older sisters have been there, were there, and they were gone by the time I got there. But when I went to visit them, I was like, this is amazing. It was all the orange, the football, the, I mean, everything about it. I was like, but from Pennsylvania, is, is that normal? No. Like, do people? <laughs> no, not really. It was, and I'm from a small town. So I think even getting mm-hmm. out was just, it felt like this is awesome. I can kind of not even start over, but I, I liked the idea of going somewhere where no one knew me. Yeah. And yeah. so when I got there, I fell in love with it. Daniel and I actually met early on. So we met halfway through our sophomore year. And so we were instantly connected when we met in the library, uh, Hodges Library. And um, (laughs) so we kind of dated all through college. And so we dated for a while before getting married. And I was in a sorority that I loved and was became president of that. I loved connecting people. I loved the friendship Um, I always wanted to be a teacher and knew I did. I was always thankful that I saw some friends kind of switch majors and not know what they were doing. And I've always wanted to be a teacher. Hmm. And so I felt fortunate to know that. And so I did the education program there, stayed an extra year to get my master's. Daniel went on to law school. And so for the first year of law school for him was getting my master's. And then after that, 
we didn't want to live together, but we knew if we stayed there. And I was like, I need, you know, I, I think it'd be best if I moved away. So I moved to Atlanta and got a job teaching and he stayed in Knoxville for the two years and finished law school. And people were like, are you guys still together? And yeah. I'm like, yeah. But it was, <laughs> we had met so young that it was really, we both had kind of some growing up to do. Yeah. Um, I grew up in church. Now, if you look back on college age, Jamie, was I walking the walk? Absolutely not. Like yeah. I reconnected with a friend recently from college and we both have really grown in our faith. And I found a picture and sent it to her and I was like, oh, the days. Like I'm just <laughs> thankful God got me through those days and was faithful to me yeah. and offered so much grace so and forgiveness. So much grace yeah. and forgiveness. So I'm so thankful for that. But when I was in Atlanta, I joined a small group. I uh, went to Andy Stanley's church. Yeah. It was super impactful in my walk. I actually got baptized there. I grew up Presbyterian, so I was sprinkled as a child. But uh, <laughs> I didn't even realize that submersion baptisms were a thing um, until later so in life. And so got baptized. That was before we got married. And um, Daniel finished law school, and we ended up in Franklin, Tennessee. Wow. So y'all... We're college sweethearts, but how long, like, how long did y'all date before you were married? Five and a half years. Yeah, that's a long time for mm -hmm. college sweethearts. I mean, I feel mm -hmm. like you either you get married at 22 or you maybe try to. Well, if it was up to me afterwards and then you, it doesn't work out. Yeah, I really, and this is so strange. I look back and like, why do they do this? But in a sorority, you like when you get engaged, you have this whole thing and it's like they're. I don't know. It's like I longed for that. I longed to get engaged yeah. before I left college, yeah. which is so crazy. So and I really would have gotten married right out of college. Uh -huh. But Daniel was, Daniel was still in law school yeah. and he wanted to be in a position to provide for us. And I'm so thankful that that I didn't pressure him into doing that. I mean, <laughs> we would have been, we would have been fine, but we both had so much growing to yeah. do apart. Yeah. And um, that time, those two years that we spent apart, of course, you know, we saw each other all the time, but there was just a lot of growth for both of us yeah. in that time yeah. that needed to happen, yeah. honestly, yeah. to to start a marriage. Yeah. So so you married your college sweetheart, your teacher, mm -hmm. and did you always want to be a mom? I did. I more so than even, you know, some girls grow up picturing their wedding day. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. I knew I wanted to be a wife, but I knew I wanted, I longed to be a mom. Huh. And so, and to be pregnant, you know, I have some friends that struggle with infertility and have never been pregnant. And um, I don't know, early on, I had such a desire hmm. to be a mom and to be pregnant for whatever, you know, it's not all hyped up. Is it? Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, I still loved it, but uh, I did. I I longed to be a mom and I thought I'd be a stay-at-home mom. Like I couldn't oh, wait for the day that yeah. I would be a stay-at-home mom and I'm not. And yeah. once I had Madeline, I went back to work and I was like, I really, I was in a job I love too. Yeah. And I think that makes a huge difference, but I loved teaching. And so, and I felt like I was a better mom yep. for that. I remember years ago, a friend saying to me, you can't know. So many women will be like, oh, I'm for sure going to stay home or mm -hmm. I'm for sure going to keep working. And, and she said, you will not know mm -hmm. until three months after you have birthed or adopted yes. your first child. Yeah. And I have seen women, I mean, do the exact opposite of what they said they were going to do. And I, I was so grateful for that insight 
before I became a mom. And I'm like the opposite of you. I never imagined being a mom. I kind of thought I would never have kids. And I, when I married Tyler, I knew, I mean, I knew getting engaged, like this means I will have to have children. (laughs) (laughs) This man wants to be a father. And so this is part of the deal. And I was like, okay, okay, I can do that. And of course, I'm so grateful today for that. Uh But yeah, I had not longed for that. All right. So let's jump ahead a little bit in your story to December time, 2015. You at this point have two precious little kiddos. You have Madeline and William who are four and two at the time. You're teaching. You and Daniel are doing great. I mean, is life at that point just kind of what you had imagined it would be or hoped it would be? Yes. In fact, we went on a couple's trip that we try to do every fall with his friends from law school that they were in a Bible study. And I think we maybe you went in November and they always, the guys wake up early on the last day and just kind of have a devotion time and catch up and like, how can we be praying for each other? Where are you spiritually and stuff? And I remember leaving it that weekend and Daniel just saying that he told the guys like life is so good right now. I just, everything feels right and good and we're in such a good place. And it was, you know, not two months later that suddenly everything wasn't, um, we kind of thought we were done having kids. Mm -hmm. We had a boy and a girl and our family felt complete. Mm -hmm. Jobs were good. Mm -hmm. Kids were good. Everything. And then I was at work one day, Daniel was at work and I got a call that William had choked and that he wasn't breathing. And so I, I woke up early that morning and spent some extra time in prayer. So for that reason, I spent some extra time in just praying God's will to be done and whatever happens, just give me the strength to get through it. And looking back, why were you even at that place? I mean, I feel like that's a rare morning when I wake up and feel that intentional about Mm -hmm. like, okay, Lord, open hand. I mean, I I recently, very recently had a moment where I felt very overwhelmed by God's presence and convicted about letting some things go that I've been holding on to and truly being like, okay, I trust you. And Mm -hmm. whatever you do with this, even if you take it away, I'm going to trust you because your will is best. Like, How are you? Why were you even there that morning? I think because I had had my work Christmas party the night before. So I think I stayed up a little later and just woke up early. And I didn't, I was in a Bible study with a friend that I was so behind on. And I really didn't want to get out of bed and do my Bible study. So I'm like, you know what? The easier thing right now (laughs) to do is to pray. And that's truly, that is where I was. It was because a lack of me, which is all God's design. Right. But for me, I didn't want to get out of bed and do my Bible study. That just felt like a lot. And so I'm like, you know what? The easier thing to do is just lay here and pray. So that's really the reason. And I just spent some extra time in prayer. And so I knew as soon as um, coworkers actually didn't get a call, coworkers came and found me in my room and told me that. And when I got in my car, I just knew. And I kept repeating for God's will to be done. And that is something that comes from the Holy Spirit inside of me. That is nothing of me. I mean, it was so the Holy Spirit in me just interceding for me in those moments. Mm -hmm. And that was all I could keep saying is just, I pray for your will to be done. I called some friends on the way to the hospital and told them to be praying, but I'm telling you, 
I knew when I had heard that he wasn't going to make it. It just, you know, God gave me a peace, which is so crazy and doesn't even sound, it's like, you listen to the story, it's like, okay, well, that's weird. Yeah. But I'm telling you, that's how it was. I had such a peace that I know this is not going to be good, but it's going to be okay. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so thankful for that because that carried me throughout that whole experience. And I see the goodness that has come of how I responded. And that is, that is how the Holy Spirit affected my words, affected my perspective on it, everything. And I just, I felt God so close in those moments. And I went to the hospital and beat them there. And so they take William out of the ambulance and I just look at him and there was, his eyes were closed, but there was such like an emptiness Mm -hmm. in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I just knew, okay, this is, this is is it. He's not here. And his heart wasn't beating, but they did get his heart beating. It was so crazy. But I was rehearsing a prayer. I thought all of these people are going to watch this child die. And I don't want them to lose hope in God. It's just crazy. <laughs> well, it's not even, it was not me. That's, it's just, it wasn't me. I had such just a divine intervention of what I was saying, what I was thinking of it all. And so they got his heart starting to beat again. And I was so confused. I was just like, okay. And I never once, which I'm thankful for this, just the peace I had, I never thought that he was going to make it. Mm. Daniel and I kind of differed in that. Um, we had a different experience. So I never really got my hopes. And this sounds weird. I never even prayed for him like a miracle. Wow. I just had such a peace that that wasn't what was going to happen. Wow. And I, so many people were praying for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. and that's totally fine. And that it just like, I, I don't know. I just knew it wasn't. So that was okay. And um, so they did get his heart started to beat and they took him to Vanderbilt. And so I remember getting there on the way out of the ambulance. I wrote a Facebook post and the poor ambulance guy, I was like, should I write on Facebook right now? And he was like, uh, I think you do whatever you think is necessary. Yeah, that poor guy. Right. Like what? <laughs> like I know right, uh, he's like, whatever oh my gosh, who put me? Yeah, I think that's what you do. <laughs> who put me in here with her? But I remember there was a time that we were sitting in the waiting room, and I thought, what now? Like we were surrounded by the people we love. I knew he wasn't going to make it, but now he was breathing on a ventilator, and so I didn't know how that was going to end. Mm. And that was when it was like, God what now? Like what, mm. like, why are we, why, why, are, why are we doing this? Like, I was so confused yeah. as to like, I had such a piece about, okay, he's not going to make it, Yeah. but why, why this, why am I in this situation right now? And where was Daniel at that moment? Like, where was his head? As the day went on, he, there were times during that day, because when he got to the house and the paramedics were working on William and one of someone said to him, like, I've seen someone come back from this. And so that kind of gave him a false hope. And so throughout the day, and I would say by that night, he knew that he wasn't going to make it. And really that night, we spent the night at the hospital. 
And I told Daniel, I was like, okay, I think we can get through this, but I need you to not leave me. And he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, I just know how hard it is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I just heard statistics and yeah. everything from people that lose a child. The divorce rate is so high. And I just, and he was, his head was like, our child is back there on a ventilator. Yeah. Like what? I had almost like kind of passed mm. losing William mm. and thought my life after this, like, like this, yes. Apart at the seams. Yeah. So for whatever reason, it went there. But that next morning, we got presented with the option of donating his organs, and it all made sense. It was like, okay, mm. this is an answered prayer. This is what the plan you have for him. And then we felt direction and closure into the whole situation mm-hmm. and could really enjoy, it sounds weird to say enjoy, but William looked like he was sleeping. So it wasn't, so it wasn't. He wasn't struggling in any way. And the people that came were so loving and supportive. We were surrounded by people that loved us. And my family flew in from all over the world. My sister was over in Europe and she flew in. Like everyone was able to be there. And it was a really sweet time just to love on him and have nothing to do but love on him Mm -hmm. before we had to let him go. I love y'all had a photographer come, didn't we did. you? It just we did. My friend Crystal is an amazing photographer and I forget if she suggested it or how that happened. And I think Daniel and I were a little like, okay. But we're like, you know what? This we're gonna want this. Yeah. And so the pictures are just incredible and so sweet. And I'm so thankful for them because Madeline was four and she's super mature and remembers it. But looking at those pictures really helps her um, solidify those memories that she has. And now to have Annie to show her the pictures. And in that time, you're making decisions that you can't get back. I mean, there's if we didn't do those pictures, there's, you know, you can't go back and do anything. And that's why the... um, child life specialists at Vanderbilt were so good and really helped us walk through that in a way that, you know, we have a canvas with all of our handprints on it. That's so special to us. We have, you know, like a lock of his hair somewhere that I've never done anything with, but um, (laughs) we have it. Um, But even as to, do we bring Madeline to the hospital and allow her to see him like this for the last time or do you know, that the, child life specialists. I don't think I could do their job, but they're so good at it. And so they made a huge difference in that process because you just, you don't know what the best thing to do is. Yeah. So yeah, that was really helpful. So I recently learned that of course, a huge part of this story, which we'll continue to talk about is y'all making the decision to donate Williams organs and how all of this kind of came to head for you realizing mm-hmm. like this is this is why we're here this is mm-hmm. why we're at Vanderbilt this is why his heart started we have my family have very dear friends who the dad and daughter have both had both living and cadaveric liver donors oh wow and Gwen actually I'm talking about them vaguely they've been on, they've been on no matter what Gwen and Ashley have both been on no matter what in season one Gwen is the mom 
Gwen has had a huge time processing like what does it mean for people to die that my husband, that my daughter would get to live mm-hmm. because of their death and grieving for those families. And I mean, you know, all, all that. Anyway, I learned just recently that hearing you and Daniel talk about your story on Michael Easley in Context was a huge piece in her heart and life and mind processing and and coming to a place mm-hmm. of I don't even I don't even want to put the words in her mouth but like coming to a place of like this is okay mm-hmm. and I mean Jamie and I were having a conversation before we started recording about leaving a job and realizing like someone else might have been praying for that job and and your absence is a provision and answer to prayer for someone else and thinking in this crazy way William's death is is a provision. Mm-hmm. His organs are a provision, a, a prayer that pe- that you know mm-hmm. people were pleading God yes. to provide. And it's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> Your dad sent me an email about that situation and stuff. And it's one of many things that we have heard that like good come out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Just incur- when I hear something like that, it's so encouraging how God is using William's story and how this was all part of his plan. And it's really encouraging for me to hear stuff like that. And that's why I want to promote organ donation. Yeah, it was, yeah. And Amy and I, the mom of the donor, which we can talk about, but we think it's so important to hear both sides. Yeah. And obviously not every situation is going to end up right as crazy as ours, right. but or as fantastic as ours but I do it's organ donation is something I never had really thought about and really I was walking with two friends the other day and they both they're like you know we're kind of embarrassed but we weren't organ donors before William and I was like that's okay my goodness um I think a lot of people aren't because it's just a a box that you choose to check or not when you're either like getting your license and honestly I I think if you don't check it. it when so that's basically on high schools I guess like if you don't check the box when you get your license at 16. I feel like you never hear about it unless you have a personal experience with it. And um, one of my friends, her daughter just got her license and she said they were at the DMV and they were looking, it was time to do that. And she's like, we hadn't even had a conversation about it. And she was like, well, yeah, I'm going to like William. And she was like, of course. Yeah. You know, so eventually I would love to go into like workplaces and just do little talks at lunch and just share our story. Cause mm-hmm. I think, you know, one person signing up to be an organ donor can, could, can save someone's so life. Lives. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Multiple lives actually, yeah. you know? So yeah. Anyway. So at some point they pronounce William dead. Yeah, that was, so they have to do two tests, I believe like 12 hours apart or something. And I remember there was a bunch of family and friends there and this doctor who's so fabulous and, you know, I don't fault him at all for this, but we were in the room and he's like, okay, I need to do that test. He's like, okay, William, like I'm going to, and I was like, I'm out. Like, yeah, it was, I couldn't, I couldn't be in there when they did those. It was just, it was just too hard Um, because I had such assurance that he was gone that it was really hard to hear even the doctor kind of talk to him as if he was there but they do those two tests and then if you agree to organ donation they now try to start matching all of 
the organs that they can and try to find across the country people that are in need. So one of the biggest things was we had so many people praying for us and it was such a shift into, and even personally, a shift into our prayers. Like now we're praying for him to be able to help as many people as possible. And that was just a purpose in our, like a shift and gave purpose to our prayer and everyone that was praying for us. So that in itself was helpful, honestly, because they had told us that they would have to keep him stable longer to try to match as many people as possible. So that was okay with us because we had family flying in and we were surrounded and we thought, this is it after we leave this hospital. Like, we and it is like you know it was, like i said his little body was warm like everything about it like i just you know just you could asleep. like yeah you just like i couldn't stop like rubbing my hands through his hair it was just like and i knew that would end um so for us even the process with organ donation having him kept Extra alive time. longer was mm-hmm. helpful for mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. so at some point you say goodbye mm-hmm. and you go home mm-hmm. I mean, how, how do you, yeah, how do you keep moving? How do you go to bed that night and wait? How do you even get out of bed the next morning, Jamie? Yeah. We left the hospital Monday morning and, uh, it was just, ugh, it was terrible. And we get home and this kind of ties into Faithful Restored, the nonprofit that I helped start, but we get home, someone has Madeline and I kind of dreaded going home yeah. to our house and I knew it was going to feel so empty and it just, it felt very overwhelming to like grieve the loss, like physically, like leaving him, yeah. his body, yeah. even though I knew he wasn't there, that was it. We, you know, and so we get home and there's a basket of like letters and all of this stuff from my group of friends. And we have a really tight group of friends and for us in our thirties, we've walked through some pretty crazy life events. One of them is a two-time breast cancer survivor. We've had loss of children. We've had miscarriages, people losing babies late in their pregnancy, death of parents. It's for infertility and adoption, all of it, just for our little friend group has been a lot. And um, it's really helped us be there for each other. And so one thing, I think the first time we did it was when one of my friends had a miscarriage later and we all, we were like, okay, we want to write notes to her. So let's everyone write a few notes and we'll have a basket at her house. So for the next month, every day, she has a little note of encouragement, whether it's funny, whether whatever it is, something that every day lets her know she's loved and cared for. And so we did that for different people. One of my friends adopted. So when she came home from Florida with her little boy, she had it at her house. And so really when I got home and I saw that, it was like, kind of hit me like, okay, well, it's my turn now, you know, which was, it was just really sweet in the moment to know like the same way that I was there for them they're there for me now. And I'm not alone in this. Like I'm walking into an empty house, but I'm by no means alone and walking through this alone. And so I have incredible friends, Daniel and I do incredible community. And so, you know, those first 
few days. I think Madeline came home later that day and I had family that were in town and one of my cousins called her sister who was flying in and she was like, you know, it's when you get here, it's not going to be like what you think. Hmm. And because we, I think mainly because we had Madeline, we had to go on. We had, yeah, we had to yeah. show her you that. actually couldn't stay in bed. Yeah, we couldn't. Yeah. I mean, there was. a toddler who. Yes. And it was like, so all of these things that we had told her about God and about Jesus mm-hmm. and about heaven, like, do we believe them in this moment or do we not? Do we, you know, the same God that we pray to and that we trust in? Yeah. Are we trusting him now yeah. or are we not? Yeah. And um, I think the way people loved us in those first few days and because we had Madeline, I don't know, I think a similar situation happened like a week later to an 18 month old uh, here in Nashville. Same thing. He choked. He went to Williamson, went to Vanderbilt. It was crazy. And they didn't have any other kids. And I just... So, so quickly in that moment was so grateful for Madeline and knew that, I guess that it could be worse, honestly. Like I just, I thought of them, I found out about it pretty soon after it. And I thought, man, I'm so grateful Mm. for Madeline and, you know, immediately was praying for them in their empty house, you know? So yeah, because Madeline is immediate joy. And I I think my mentor, Annie, who was on no matter what on season one, she buried her niece at six years old, I think. Mm -hmm. And walking through that with her brother and sister-in-law and her mantra always, which she had learned through other seasons of grief and hardship was like, you just have to find the joy. Mm-hmm. Every day has joy. Yeah. And it's a gift from the Lord. And if we don't find it and cherish it, then we're wasting it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're not going to grieve and be, you know, but it's, it's holding both and, mm-hmm. and finding what can we be joyful about today when you literally cannot get out of bed and her niece, that she was an only child. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. similar situation where, I mean, you're going home to yeah a very empty, quiet house that used to be full of mm-hmm. a child yeah. And, and yeah, that she was joy free. I mean, that's, it really, that's and it really, so we came home on a Monday and Tuesday was when we found out who William's heart went to. So there wasn't even much wow. I mean, so lag like time in a day later. Yes. Okay. So tell us about <laughs> so that. That was, uh, so you are not supposed to, when you donate organs, no, you this, are not supposed to know where they go. This doesn't normally happen. When we're, when we were in the hospital, we heard, we kind of overheard a nurse say his heart was going to Chicago, his liver was going to Texas and his kidneys were going as a block to North Carolina. And I don't know if Daniel or I, who, who heard that or what, but we both knew that. And so, so the next day we're at home and there's friends are over and some family are over and we have a bunch of boards and pictures out, you know, like getting ready for the memorial. Yeah. And we were dancing. That was just, it was like my cousin said, it was not what you would think of after wow. a two-year-old passed away, wow. but it was just, I don't know. It was what the Lord wanted it to be. And one of my friends came over and said, hey, did they tell you about Ava? And I was like, what? And um, someone's like, we weren't going to tell her. And she's like, well, I'm going to tell her. It was like my childhood friend, like 
you know, lifetime friend. And mm. she said, we think we know where William's heart went. And I was like, what? And I remember like looking over and seeing Daniel's face, just like, oh gosh. And because uh, he just, my friends and I get together and he's just shakes his head. And so we watch a news video that was on the news in Chicago from the night before. And it is Amy and Brian Martin that were interviewed that Ava had waited 111 days for a heart. She was in heart failure and they got the heart yesterday and you see the heart being wheeled in the heart being taken out of the cooler. Like we're all around a computer screen watching like, William's heart taking heart. out, taken out of a, out of a cooler put in. And the doctor is like, welcome to your new home. And we are like, what? And so a friend of mine was sharing William's story on Facebook and a friend of Amy's was sharing Ava's story. And like, they were friends and they're like, Wait a second. This world is so small. Yeah. So crazy. And so Julia was asking, of course, she didn't come to me with that, but like came to another friend and was like, do they know anything about like where it went or yeah. whatever? And they knew Ava's blood type. And then turns out they weren't matching blood types. So then you can imagine all these girls like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then we're like, oh, oh. okay. Well, <laughs> like, well, you know, that's cool. And yeah. we're glad for yeah. Ava, you know. Yeah. And then Brody, the same girl that told me, she was like, wait, I Googled and I found an article where if they're under three, their blood types don't have to match. What? And so then we're like, oh, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> the I'm, yeah, the yeah, table. yeah. And even, even just the goodness in that conversation and that, I don't know, it was such a dark time yeah. and... I mean, you talk about joy, like it felt joyless. Like, I mean, it was yeah. just a, and I couldn't help but feel overwhelmed by it all. Like yeah. thinking of like the memorial coming up and thousand people yeah. greeting, like yeah. it all felt yeah. like, whew, this is a lot. And so it was so neat in those moments to have like, to smile and feel yeah joy and like oh this is ex something exciting like yeah. I mean you just your child just died yesterday you know like it was just really neat so they had a whole Facebook group and everything for her and I'm like I'm just gonna message her the mom because I Amy and Brian got interviewed and I could just tell by listening to them they were like you know we are so grateful for someone in their darkest hour yeah. that would choose to give life and we will honor them for the rest of Ava's life. And I was wow. like, I love them. Like I, <laughs> I love them right now. Friends? Yes. We, I want to be friends with them. And so I remember looking over at Daniel and he was like, no, like, don't do this. And so, but I did, I was like, you know what? Okay. And I did anyway. And so I sent her a message on Facebook and I said, I don't know if this is it, but you know, my son, passed away and we donated his heart yesterday. We heard it went to Chicago and within 30 minutes, she wrote me back and she said Ava's surgery was the only pediatric heart transplant in, in Chicago's Chicago. yesterday. So we instantly knew and like started messaging back and forth, sending pictures. They have Ella who is um, a year or two older than Ava and so they sent pictures of their girls. I sent pictures of Madeline. So we just, I don't know. It, it was by that first little interaction. 
Amy and I felt such a connection mm-hmm. and bond. And it was confirmed the next day that, and everyone medically involved, like I remember talking to a doctor at Vanderbilt and she was like, I called her because I said, here's what happened. And I just, and she was like, okay, well, <laughs> like, oh, gosh. there's safety things put in place. So this doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> and, um, but I was like, I really, and, and she, it was so good because it was advice that in things that I didn't even think of, she was like, just so you know, you can open yourself up to this and it could not take and Ava could die. Mm-hmm. And then you're dealing with another loss, loss and let down. Yeah. And wow. which was so good. Wouldn't have even I know. thought about that. Yeah. And so Daniel and I talked about it and it was like, you know what? If we could give them six hours with Ava, yeah, if we could right. give them six days, like we would yeah. give anything to have that with William. And you know what? It is totally worth it for us. So it was a no brainer. And like I said, the connection between Amy and I instantly was just incredible. And so there we didn't even have time. We got home from the hospital Monday. That happened Tuesday night. Then in the same way that organ donation provided a little like reason and hope and purpose in our prayers. Now it was like, I had something to talk about. I had something, mm. anyone that approached me, I mean, they didn't know what to say. Right. And I remember my cousin, the same one that I was talking about before came into town. We meet at a restaurant and I was able to say like, have you heard about Ava? Like, have you heard, you know, it was yeah. just like, it gave me mm. hope in a hopeless mm. situation. Um, and very much. And I, Dana and I spoke at the memorial and said this, like our hope wasn't in Ava. Sure. You know, our hope is in a God that supplied exactly what we needed when we needed wow. it, you know? Wow. And um, so, and it, um, it's been amazing. We're best friends with them. We travel, we do couples trips. They come down here and stay. We go up there. I just, the girls wow. and I just did 10 days in Michigan with them and Amy's parents. Like it's, it's been absolutely amazing. What a gift. Oh, such a gift. And really when we're around them, it was a few times ago when they were down here, we were in bed and I was like, Daniel, do you think about Ava having William's heart Hmm. when they're here? And he's like, not really. I was like, I really don't either. Like they just, they're like some of our best friends. I mean. Wow. Like somehow you inherited family. Yes. Oh gosh. You wouldn't have Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for William. Yes. And I'm in an extended family. Like when we go up there, like we you know, see all their family and siblings and everything. Mm. And in that time, their whole family just wrapped their arms and still do. Like I just got a note in the mail from one of their aunts that had taken a picture of a relative that came in a little boy. And she said he walked in the door and Ava immediately like started wrestling him. And she took a picture and sent it to me. Like, I hope this, Mm. you know, brings you joy. She Mm. just, she is great and fabulous. So they, continue to love us and treat us like family. I mean, it's been such a gift. Just want to interrupt this conversation for a second to tell you about a couple things. One, each month in 2020, I'm choosing a book of the Bible to study, and I would love for you to join me. You can learn all about it on my Instagram, and you can even download a reading guide to help you. The guide is to give you a super simple, flexible, and really a practical guide in helping you get in a rhythm of reading your Bible and seeing how it can impact your life. 
2nd, I'm running a major sale on my book, The College Girl Survival Guide. It is the perfect high school graduation gift or just a sweet way to encourage a current college student you know and love. You can even ship the book directly to her with a note from you. Go to hannahseymour.com for more info and use the discount code no matter what, all one word, all lowercase, no matter what at checkout. One thing I think about a lot is when people face incredible hardships, incredible seasons of darkness, we kind of all have two choices and that either is to run to the Lord or run away because Mm -hmm. we're mad and angry and essentially say, I cannot believe in a God. I cannot love a God. I cannot serve a God that would allow this. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? Like, how do, how do you, I don't think many people would argue, like, the fact that children die, <laughs> the fact that God would allow children to die, I think, I think most people would agree is like the worst thing that happens mm-hmm. on earth. Yes. How do you choose to not just believe in a God who would allow that, but to love and serve him? I always, when I share my story about William, need to also share right before Daniel and I got married, three months before my dad committed suicide. And that, of course, I thought was the most traumatic thing that I was going to go through. Um, My parents were divorced in fifth grade. I went to see my mom every other weekend on Tuesday, but I lived with my dad. We were very close. I was the only child of my mom and my dad. And so I was everything to my dad. And so when that happened, like I said, with praying for God's will, I had been attending Andy Stanley's church and he did a series on prayer. And I had been praying that, like praying God's will. And that happened. And I was like, you know what? If this is your will, like I really don't want anything to do with it. Like this is... Like, you've got to be kidding me here. Now I'm going to have this wedding and I'm grieving the loss of my dad when I'm supposed to be excited about him walking you know, down the uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was so difficult. And I responded so differently mm. than, than I did with what. And now I see God's provision in even that happening to wow. me and how it prepared me for losing William. I mean, just... Like, I'm so grateful for the hard times because it just really prepared me for things. And um, wow. I didn't completely turn my back on God, but I I was angry. I was angry at my dad. I was angry at God for letting that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't at a position like I was talking about in college. I always believed in God, went to church, but my faith was nothing what it was mm-hmm. when William died. And that was the difference. I mean, wow. I... How I responded to that, I had a perspective of kind of me-centered, yeah. and this was happening to me. Yep. I didn't deserve this. Yep. And all of those things, when a perspective, what you need is you are a piece of God's plan, and yeah. it's not about you. <laughs> it's, it is not about which is hard to do in a world that promotes it's everything all about, me. about you and what you deserve and your happiness. Like, yeah. and so that's where I was at that point. And so everything felt like God did this to me. Yeah. And so, gosh, I, that happened in February. And I remember, 
you know, we got married in May. I moved to Nashville. I kind of took some time off teaching. I subbed for a while. I remember a year later, the next February, I maybe subbed like two days out of the month. I I couldn't even get out of bed. I was still in such a place of grieving. And it took a really long time for me to be like, you know what? This isn't about me. This God, you are so much bigger than me. And, and really when we got here, we started going to fellowship and, you know, like a year took us a while to get into a church and I was hearing your dad included. I was hearing pastors teach from the Bible in a way that was like, you know what? The goodness of God and his character and I need to trust in his promises that they are true. And it hmm. really changed my perspective and way I thought about life in general. Hmm. And I just became more faithful and trusting and put my entire life in God's hand and really learned to kind of have open hands into God whatever it is yeah. that you desire from me, I know that it's best. Yeah. And now did I want to lose a child? No, <laughs> that was not, that, right. that also wasn't what right. I was thinking <laughs> when I was like t- trying to totally <laughs> surrender. Um, but when that happened, I didn't think why me, I wasn't angry at God. It was like, okay, like I know you're going to get me through this and I know there's going to be goodness in this and you are faithful and I've seen it. And so, oh, wow. I'm so grateful for the way when I was in a small group with North Point, someone was like, you need to maybe go see a counselor. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, she was like, and I would make it a Christian counselor. And I was like, mm, okay. So I looked up one Christian counselor that took my insurance. I was, you know, just out of college. So it was, I think, $75 a time. And I was like, this is a lot of money. Still so <laughs> yeah. much. Now it's like 150 yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> but I was like, is this worth it? Yeah. Like every time I was like, okay, that's a lot of money. And I mean, the place that he got me to before my dad committed suicide completely saved my life. Like wow. if I hadn't been seeing a Christian counselor for those eight months before my dad died, I would have been suicidal myself. I would have been so consumed with guilt because I was everything to my dad. And so for then to have him kill himself. Yeah, you would have felt that burden. It was just, and like I said, it didn't make my grief easier. I still really struggled with that. But yeah, I was just at a completely different place. So I always have to say about that when people ask, because I think they do see the way that we've handled this and how faithful and just like, I've thrown myself to God. And and one of my friends recently lost her dad unexpectedly. And she's like, I've always read your post. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like you say, it's not you, it's God doing this and stuff. And she said, but I really get it now. Like it's really because of your weakness like God is able to come in and do that. And she said, that's how I feel now. I feel like I don't have anything to offer. I'm just so at God, I've just got to trust you. And that's, that's all I have the energy to do. Um, And he is so faithful when we do that. Yeah. And I think it's okay to be angry at God because I was when my dad 
dad, I yeah. was. And he can um, handle it. Yes. I mean, yes. And I'm so thankful for his grace of staying with me and pursuing me and putting me in a church that I was taught, you know, to be, have an eternal focus mm -hmm. and to know his love and the yeah. character of God and who he is. And to then have the loss of a child yeah. and to be at that place. I'm so grateful. Yeah for that. Yeah. Talk to me about, you had this incredibly supportive community. How do they encourage you? And specifically, what can you tell us that helps those of us who are listening, who have a friend who is going through something similar or just not even necessarily losing a child, just something that's horribly difficult. Mm -hmm. How do we come around? How do we wrap our arms around our friends? How do we support them? How do we love them? You and I, before recording, we're talking about, I think a lot of times we're so scared that we're going to say or do the wrong thing that I think sometimes people just choose to not say anything. And obviously if this is someone that's like yeah. your best friend, you're going to enter in mm -hmm. into it. The episode that will come out the week before this one does. So it's already at this point already aired is Chrissy McClellan and she talks about just the importance of lament and when your friend is lamenting of sitting in the lament with them. And mm -hmm. I mean, she even uses words like steward their pain, mm -hmm. touch their pain, like be in the pain with them. Mm -hmm. How did your friends do that? Mm -hmm. They were incredible. I mean, our group of friends and honestly community around us met every need possible. You know, my friends, I would say, were just there. They weren't scared of going to our house the day after mm -hmm. we get home from the mm -hmm. hospital, which is not an easy thing to walk into. Yeah. You know, they were there. They showed up. And you wanted them there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that I think was so meaningful that people kept surrounding us and then meeting our need. We had a meal train for yeah. six months wow. and it was amazing. It was so helpful. We had people that cut our grass. We had people that in the very beginning, someone came and did my laundry. I mean, they just, and of course I get asked this quite a bit, like, what can I do? And so I say things like taking care of some of those like Daniel loves to cut our grass, but at that time, like it felt like one, one more, more thing. thing to do. Yeah. And so I think notes of encouragement mm -hmm. at the very beginning, I would say, I mean, I probably didn't read the cards that came in for a few months, honestly. Wow, yeah. Like I kind of might've looked at them, but it was all too overwhelming. Yeah, I was thankful for the support. I was like, when I got them from the mailbox, like I was glad, like, in fact, you know, those months out when they, the support kind of trickles off sure. is hard yeah. because, and that's what one thing Faithfully Restored does, especially in a loss is kind of wait a few months or a birthday yep. or yep. something like that to kind of come in and be like, you're still loved. You're still yeah. prayed for. I think it's helpful to random strangers like dropped off a gift card in our mailbox and, um, mm -hmm. It's really cool. So this random stray, I still don't know who it is, dropped off a Kane Prime gift card a few months after it happened. And then years later, so this was just probably, I guess maybe before all this happened, but a few months ago, we were at Kane Prime again and we're sitting with some friends and actually a board member of Faithful Restored. So that was really special. And so the waiter comes over and said, here, I was told to give this to you. And I was like, okay. He said like the herds. And so he opened it up and it was like, 
I don't know you. I've never met either of you, but I have been praying for you guys for years. And she said, I dropped off a Kane Prime gift card. I mean, it was amazing. Dropped off a Kane Prime gift card. And she said, and then you walk in of all places and all nights to Kane Prime tonight and I see you. And she's like, I just want you to know that you're still being prayed for and sent a dessert tray and stuff. And it was like, oh my God. I mean, it was kind of funny. You still don't know who it I is. I still don't know who it is. And <laughs> it was kind of funny because we're like out with a board member and they're like, does this happen a lot? Or like, did you plant this to happen? This every time yeah. we leave our house. Yes. Um, but I'm talking the way wow. people loved, and I'm a gifts person anyway. My love language is yeah. receiving gifts. So I love being loved on. And that's why I love loving on other people. But I think praying for people is one thing and to let them know they're being prayed for. Like when I hear people praying for me, it just is so encouraging because on a random Tuesday, you can feel alone in it. Like everyone's gone back to their lives. Everyone, you know, it's getting ready for school and William would be going into second grade. You know, we, I think not being afraid to be there. And I think it was a second anniversary I had just had Annie and so I didn't want to travel and a friend came over and sat with me and it was so meaningful for her to have entered Mm. that space with me. And like Mm. you said, just take that on. I mean, that's hard to do. And honestly, I think a lot of times people feel like I've got my own stuff going on. Like, I don't really know if I can handle that, especially when it's, you know, something, an extreme loss or, or something where they feel like, I don't really know how she's going to be, but I've had people, you know, I've spent anniversaries and birthdays with people and they're just willing to sit there in whatever space I'm in. And I always feel like I have people I can call and do that with. That's really meaningful. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the meals and those practical things were really helpful for us. Have you in your journey struggled with fear and anxiety for your other for your two girls I mean Mm -hmm. I I would imagine coming home to Madeline and then eventually having Annie has that been part of your process or it has in fact so William died in December of 2015 and then Daniel and I immediately went went into counseling we had probably just finished end of April and beginning of May Daniel's brother who's 19 unexpectedly drowns went out fishing by himself. I mean, no explanation. And when that happened, even though it wasn't as close, wasn't as bad to me as losing a child, it just sent me, I felt like I'd taken a few steps forward and then I went into like a downward spiral. And I just thought, oh gosh, like every, and for Madeline, I mean, she said like everyone around me is dying and, and we're not talking about like in there also Daniel's aunt who was older passed away, but it felt like everyone around her was dying. Most four-year-olds aren't really having to grapple with death. And this is like my sibling, my uncle, my like. And and young, I mean, a two-year-old, a 19-year-old, things that you just aren't very common. And so after that happened, um, and talk about friends being there, um, a friend came to my house and she was like, I really think maybe you need to go check yourself in somewhere. <laughs> I was like, wow. I so appreciate having <laughs> friends that 
will say that yes. and do that. Like yes. you need those people that are going to be there and say the hard things. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I yeah. get it. I am not yeah. doing well because I say that because fear took a hold of me. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, if I wasn't around Madeline, I had visions of like her tripping over a stick and it, totally. it poking her heart and dying, like totally unreasonable things. Right. So went straight back to counseling and I was like, it is consuming me. Yeah. And I've periodically dealt with that. When it comes up, I reach out to friends and ask for prayers mm-hmm. specifically against mm-hmm. fear. When I was pregnant with Annie, just her being born, it was like, okay, we got through the labor. And then when she was really tiny and in her crib, I just would have visions of walking in there and her not being alive. So went back to counseling. <laughs> and um, that's one thing I can say. I love counseling. I think it's so helpful. Yeah. And that's one thing Faithfully Restore would love to do is take the financial burden eventually yeah. off because awesome. it does. It just, you think like, do I need to pay $150? Right. Like, am I in a bad place like to do? Yeah. yeah. So I went back to counseling and worked through some fear. So that it's definitely been something that has kind of creeped in and Daniel and I did a 10 year anniversary trip to Europe. And I remember being there and starting to feel like, wow, I'm really far away from my kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I got online and Levi Lusco um, is an author who I read his book through the eyes of a lion. Incredible is exactly what I needed when I read it. And he had posted that fear is having faith in the enemy. And I thought, that is wow. that is exactly here I am like at this amazing hotel like looking off um off the coast in southern France and I'm like starting to be like gosh I should I've taken this vacation and yeah. left my kids like how yeah. reckless is that to yeah. leave my kids and you know and then it's like no God's desire is not for me to be filled with mm. fear and for the devil to take hold of me in that moment and steal that joy of celebrating 10 years of marriage with my husband like that is giving him power and he's not going to have it. Mm-hmm. And that, um, so I love that quote and I've said it to different people kind of since then. And I had just never thought of it that way. I think it's very true. I think fear is something the devil loves. I think it's an easy thing, especially in the unknown of yeah. where we are now. Yep. I'm thankful for the perspective that I have, even as the pandemic happens and everything, yeah. I'm like, you know, it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And I'm yeah, and I feel that way because I feel like I've gone through a lot right. and you know I've had people die through various you know drowning and suicide and choking and all these random things of like people are dying you know and I have such a perspective of ready for heaven and longing for heaven mm-hmm. that if God wants to take me with COVID-19. I am. All right, let's go. I let's was ready this. yesterday. Like I Okay, I I'm do just there. I do want to go there. I want to talk about having eternal perspective, but before we get there, a couple more questions. One, I always got to talk about scripture in this show. So what verse, what passage did you really cling to during this season? Um, I'll tell you one thing. I met with a girl on Friday actually who had just recently lost her husband um in a car accident and she was saying, like, I just can't even pray. Yeah. And I was like, I totally get it. That's where I was. So I think a lot of people would say, like, 
gosh, during that time, were you just so prayerful? And I was thankful to hear her say that because I think during that time you can feel guilt in that. Mm, But I couldn't even like praying and I forced myself to go to church and it was really hard. You know, I just sat and cried through all. It was it was all just overwhelming stuff I knew. And it just was our church just preached it and, you know, they didn't, they don't like hold back. (laughs) So it's just like, I know, I know. I'm so sad though. It's just, it was overwhelming. So encouragement to someone going through something that people are praying on your behalf Mm. and you need to cling to the Lord and cling to his word, but it's okay right in the midst of that to ask people to pray for you. Because I would say I, the thought of praying brought sadness and overwhelming. And it's like, that's what you desired and you wanted to, but it was really hard. Mm. So all of this happened around like the 12th, 13th of December. And I always order my Christmas cards on Black Friday and uh, or girl. Cyber Monday Smart now. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I had already had my Christmas cards printed. And so we were in the hospital and people were like, what can we do for you? And I was like, I have my Christmas cards at home and I really want them. Like I have an Excel spreadsheet. If you could just print my labels. You're in the hospital. (laughs) And and you tell people to go deal with your Christmas cards? Because, well, because every year I pick like a verse, Daniel and I sit down and it's like, what is our verse for the year? Like, what do we want people? And it started after my dad died because it was the first year that we celebrated Christmas as, you know, married and sending it out. And so... I put a verse on there in it. So every year we do it. And so, you know, in that moment, I didn't even remember what my Christmas cards look like or whatever. But so then when I pulled them up, this was the verse that we had printed on our Christmas cards already. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, Mm -hmm. and 7. Yeah. And it was like, I wanted people to know that no matter what happens, because that was like day one in the hospital, that no matter what happens here, this is what we believe. And for God to give us that verse to put in. Yeah, that's not a Christmas verse. I mean, for unto us a child is born. Yes. No, it was, and it was on the back of our card with the sweetest little black and white picture of, here it is, Madeline kissing William's forehead. It was like the sweetest little, and he's like, just looking at her. I mean, it was just everything about it. And there were, there were times during all of that, like that, where I saw God's Mm. goodness Mm. in it all. And it's like, I've got you. Like, this is terrible, but I've got you like trust in me, keep your eyes on me and I will get you through this. So I would say I love sharing that story because, you know, there's so much in that Mm -hmm. verse, whether like you're doing it with Thanksgiving, like the peace that surpasses your understanding. That's exactly what we were in. Like there was a peace there that when we have this perspective of like, you don't know, you can't understand God's plan. You can't understand his goodness fully. And I don't think we will here um, know it all. So, yeah. Okay. You mentioned through the eyes of the lion, were there other books or resources that 
you know, through your journey throughout this time, you've read that you found really helpful and that you would recommend to other folks that are going through something Mm -hmm. similar? So I probably have 40 books about grief, losing a child at the house. And it was really hard to sit down and read a book about that. Why would you want to Um, enter it? Yeah, it just... As much sense. as everyone was like, this book is so good. This book is so good. Um, and like someone asked me, you know, a year later, you know, this is the person I sent you that book. I was like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm sure it's on my bookshelf. Yeah. Um, I appreciate, no, you know, you doing that. That's a really good insight. But I, yeah, yeah. But I, so I, like a month later, I was not doing well and I needed to be by myself because it was as much as it was helpful to have Madeline, it was really hard to grieve mm. with a four-year-old. Mm. Because as you do want them to see you grieving and everything, you don't want them to see you like knock it out of bed every day. You know, there has to be a balance there in that. Um, You're real about your grief and it's okay to be sad. But, you know, at some point, like it's not okay for them to see you not function. Yeah. And so I needed to be removed from my house, from even like Daniel, even just like all of it, you know, getting dinner to even people were cooking for us, but like even putting dinner on the table, like all of it, I just like didn't want to, I needed a break from anyone needing me for anything. And so I fly to this little spa thing, Canyon Ranch out in Arizona. And before I left, I laid out all the books that people had given me. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to take one book with me. Help me just whatever book you want me to take. And I did Levi Lesko through the eyes of a lion. Wow. And it's about his five-year-old daughter passing away five, I think it's five days before Christmas or a few days before Christmas. Wow. And the stories just paralleled in a way, and it was hard. I cried throughout the whole book, but he had such a good perspective of dealing with it. And like he even, he's a pastor, so they even left the hospital after leaving her and went back in. His wife was like, you're going to go back in and invite those, all the doctors and everything to church. And he was just like, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And they went, you know, just, I identified with stuff that they had done that Mm. I knew it wasn't that, you know, just like Mm -hmm. how God had been there for them and what, you know, so it was, it was really good. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear about how did Faithfully Restored become what it is? Our friends love writing notes to each other and we know just how meaningful it is to, when you're feeling down, receive a note from someone. It was like, okay, I got this. Like God's with me in this. And just the words of promises and reminding people that they're loved and not alone. I think not feeling like you're not alone in things. I think you know, whether it's grief or infertility or infidelity or cancer, all this, um, I think the enemy would love for you to feel alone in it or anxiety or anything that loss of a job. I think the enemy would also love to have you think that whatever it is, your worry or your struggle isn't as big as someone else's. And so like, you don't need help or prayer. Like, you know, you didn't lose a child or you didn't, you know, like look at them. They have, and it's like, no, that's not God's desire for you. And so because of the things that we have kind of been through, you hear about, you know, I probably hear once a week about someone losing a child, whether it's someone that contacts us or, yeah. you know, a news article that is sent or whatever you just do. And whether 
you know, whatever situation you're in, I feel that that's the case. And so Jamie, Heather, and I had just kind of started hearing about all loss of a child and people that were struggling with infertility and cancer. And it felt very much like a burden, like God was putting it Mm -hmm. on us, like, okay, what do you need to do with these things? And so we would tell each other, like, we pray for this person. I heard of this terrible situation. I was like, oh gosh. And so we were like, you know what? We'll get together one night a month and write encouraging notes to these women. It just felt like a way to give back. And we know, and that's so healing for us, you know, to be able to speak truth into someone and tell them like, it's going to be okay. And then you just have your words hold weight to someone going through something if you've been through a similar situation. Yep. Yep. Like as much as my friends were there for me, um, no, it is different. You know, if you, you can say, "I have, I have, yes, been exactly where you are." Yes, exactly. And they're just God uses that. And so we ask our friend Jenny Rebecca, who I William died in December, and then in June her eight-year-old son Hayes died in a car wreck. And so we connected after that. And so that's just been a really sweet friendship into kind of knowing the depth of each other's loss and like mm-hmm. birthdays and mm-hmm. e- anniversaries and everything or a random Friday when we're really down. Like mm-hmm. we'll we'll let ourselves give each other space to be sad. And then there's a point where it's like, you come on, like we got this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. me telling her that or her telling me that like, there's just, you know, where from someone else it might come off across as like harsh or whatever. Right. It just really is for when I'm not in a good place or when she's not in a good place, for us to speak into each other is really yeah. helpful. Yeah. And so that's been a really sweet connection. So we asked her to join us and we just came to my house one night and wrote letters and started doing that. And then we never had a loss of women to write to. I mean, that just, yeah. and so- we thought, you know, this could really turn into something. And the four of us have really big hearts. We don't know anything about running a nonprofit. It was <laughs> like we were entering into something. We we're like, let's do this. And someone had asked us, you know, a few months later, like, why did you decide to form a nonprofit? And, not, and we're yeah. like, we wanted to be official. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. So it's just been really sweet. And what we thought was just going to be us speaking in to people and encouraging people has so quickly turned into a job for two of us and now a goal of allowing others in to pray for and encourage and help. And so we do send encouraging notes and care packages, but another thing we do is match prayer partners. And it's been really cool to see, like we just had two people meet, like one, they're both struggled with some anxiety. And so we matched them up. They were basically pen pals during quarantine. Um, one lived in Nashville, one lives in Kentucky. They both drove two and a half hours to wow. meet. I mean, it was just really sweet stories are coming out of it. I just recently, like I said, met with someone who had just lost her husband. And the day before that, someone had passed on my name to someone and um, I met with her and she now is remarried with two kids, but when she was 23, lost her husband in the Iraq war. And, and so it was so cool to see God randomly put this girl in my life to prepare me for two days later to meet with someone else and connect them because I didn't have words for either of them. Like I just, you know, I couldn't imagine what either of them were going through. Right. So I see God providing in that way 
and just connecting people and building a community. We did do events before all this started just to bring women together because some people just lack community Mm -hmm. and need Mm -hmm. women, godly women surrounding them, a place where they can ask for support and prayer. So it's been really, it's been great. It's amazing. Amazing. It's been really, really good. Okay. Where I want to land with you, you already brought it up, longing for heaven, thinking about heaven, having an eternal perspective. I think most of us do not think about heaven. Um, mm-hmm. We love this life that we're in. We want to accomplish the things and the goals. Like she was totally joking, but my mentor, Annie, used to be, you know, be like, I need, Jesus needs to come back today. Okay, wait, we can wait until he, you get married and have sex and then uh-huh. Jesus can come. <laughs> you know, she'd always kind of like be like joking, flipping about it. But, but that is how a lot of us feel. Like if Jesus came back today, that would very much interrupt the plans that I have for uh-huh. this life. Part of my spiritual growth, I feel like the last year has been me really coming to understand the full story of the Bible and that we're just really in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of our American Christianity is like, oh yeah, it's the gospel and Jesus came and died and was buried and rose again and he loves you and it's you know his kingdom now on this earth and you get to live a more fulfilling life. That's kind of almost the, I feel like the message right now is like, mm-hmm. you you can have a more fulfilling life on this earth if you follow Jesus. Yes. And mm-hmm. we are still very much in the middle of God's greater story. And that is eternity. Mm-hmm. And part of that, of my own journey is rubbing shoulders with friends who have lost a child or who have a child with special needs and what that does to you in longing for eternity, longing for a place where your special needs daughter is mm-hmm. whole, where your sweet William, you're reunited with him. Like mm-hmm. you walk on this earth with a very different perspective than most of us. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for to kind of just close to hear you talk about that. Like how did losing William change your perspective and how does holding on to this end game of eternity, how does that impact your daily life? Yeah. I am so thankful for the ability to have an eternal perspective in the way that I do and how I can hold this world with not gripping it at all. It's like, it's like, have you read the Bible? Have you like, do you know what's, do you know what's coming? Um, Do you know what heaven is going to be like this? Oh, this broken world is so full of hurt and pain and everything gosh there is there is something coming that is so much better that we can't even fathom i think that's i think we try to have like an earthly perspective of heaven yeah. like what we think what we think is good here like oh it's it's a little better but i just even think yeah there we don't even know mm-hmm. like we can't even wrap our head around what's to come and gosh I mean, if you believe the promises of God are true, like that is for you. Like that is, uh, and people that love Christ have that coming. And I do, I mean, there's so much good I have seen come from losing William. There just is. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most thankful for is the ability to, with open arms, hold my kids, my marriage, and it all just because I'm like, God, I'm, I'm holding you to everything <laughs> you say. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. 
holding you to it. And if this is all true, then I know what's coming and I'm in. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for that because I think it'd be hard to get there, at least for me, would have been hard to get there without the hardships in my life. Yeah. The pediatrician we have is just amazing. She came to the hospital. I think she got there probably like 11 or 12 that first night. She had found out that it was William. And so she came and she said, I always tell my kids they're borrowed from above. And I was like, like never had I even before that thought of it that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, she's exactly right. Like we are entrusted with these children. And I think one thing that I've kind of worked through is because Daniel was there when I lost my dad. He was there when William died. And like I did, like when we lost William, I was like, I needed him and I needed him in a way that, and I thought if he leaves me, I will not be okay. Mm -hmm. And I've had to work through my dependence, not being on Daniel, a sinful person, but if anything happened to him or our marriage, like I have all I need in Christ and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to work through that, I think, because I was so holding tight to the one being yeah. intact, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and I think sometimes it can make me feel a little insensitive to things, which I have to be careful mm. of when people just put so much worth in things here. It's like, eh, like yeah. there's so much yeah. to come. And um, I'm honestly grateful for what has happened in my life that I can have that perspective. And I think it is because of the hard times and just being on my knees, like, God, I'm, I'm going to hold you to everything you say. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited for that. Jamie, thanks for coming on no matter what. You're welcome. <laughs> thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. Y'all check the show notes, go check out what Faithfully Restored is doing. It is amazing and wonderful. And oh, can I tell you about our event coming yes, up? Yes. Okay. I meant to do that. Okay. So we were supposed to have an event in April yeah. during Donate Life Month in person out at the Loveless. I was really excited to sit. Amy and Brian and their whole family is flying down. We're going to sit with Elizabeth Hasselbeck and she is so great and help us share the donor and recipient side of organ donation. Yes. And we had, it's called Stories from the Heart. And we have three songwriters that we're going to play and kind of talk about the stories behind their songs. And I was really looking forward to being surrounded with people that I love and that love us and just like an intimate little night. Honestly, of worship, I wanted it to be a time that God's story of goodness and hope was on display. And um, that didn't happen, but we moved it to August 16th and it's going to be live streamed on Facebook and YouTube and at seven o'clock. And so we'll still all be at the Loveless. Our tiny little team of 25 people or less will be there and um, it'll still be great. And I've seen, I've needed to kind of give up control of that and realize, you know, people now it's free. People can watch from all over and it can reach a lot more people and someone that could not come to Nashville and be there for the event can tune in and it's going to be what God wants it to be. And yeah, I'm satisfied in that, but we're really looking forward to it as our first kind of big fundraiser for Faithfully Restored. So you can learn more about. So August um, 16th. August 16th, 7 p.m. 
on Facebook and YouTube, and I'll yep. put all the links, and I'll definitely be shouting it from the rooftops. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm so excited about Thanks. it. And personally, know two of your songwriters who I just think are so fab. So They're anyway. amazing. They're, I mean... If anything, just tune in for the songwriters. (laughs) No, tune in for you and Amy and y'all's story. Okay, one last thing before you go. You know I always make sure our guests talk about some passage of scripture they really clung to during their no matter what season. And I have put all of the season one verses together in a cute, free, printable PDF that I would love to give you. Print it out and put it somewhere you will see it every day. I know it will encourage you and help you continue to renew your mind with God's truth instead of letting your circumstances dictate your theology. You can go to hannahseymour.com slash shop or find the direct link in the show notes wherever you listen. And speaking of where you listen, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, would you take two seconds to rate and review the show? It would mean so much to me and you know it helps other people find it and hopefully they'll listen and be encouraged to be who God created them to be no matter what.